You're listening to The Jukebox, your monthly dose of the very best indie music around. Please welcome your host, Brett Stewart. Hello, you are indeed listening to The Jukebox. I am your host, Brett Stewart. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us for our first mini-episode. Now, these are episodes that are going to be coming out once a month in between the main episodes of the podcast that air on the 25th of every month. Our goal is to create insightful and compelling conversations with the artists that you hear on the show each episode. In addition to that, we also want to create uh, segments that are relevant to our listeners. In today's case, we're going to be having a tips and advice segment. And our goal with that is to create some advice uh, that is more of a discussion and uh, more flexible than something that you may be reading off a bulleted list on a blog like CD Babies or Reverb. So we just want to start bringing you guys more content that's important and relevant to you and continuing to connect with you in all the avenues that are available to us. So in today's uh, first mini-episode, we are first going to be airing the wonderful conversation we had with Jansen Harris, who is the mastermind behind Dimension 9. That was an instrumental artist that we played on May's episode, and we got a wonderful, wonderful response to his music. If you don't quite remember him, he is the guy that was doing those phenomenal uh, video game soundtracks. So what we're first going to do is we're going to play a new track for you right now of his, and then you will hear the interview. Enjoy a song for kitties in space.
you straight from the jukebox. And now for an interview with Jansen Harris. I have Jansen on the line with me. Thank you so much for taking the time to have an interview with me. Absolutely no problem. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I first wanted to talk about your music. Now, are you classically trained? Because you have so much going on in this mix. You have violins and drum machines and synthesizers. There's so much happening right there. Uh, What kind of training do you have? Um, actually, no, I wasn't trained at all. I don't know music theory. Like, um, I, I grew up with, uh, two people, uh, Jake Wasowski and an Ed Rearig, uh, very, and an Ian Anderson as well. <clears throat> Old friends when we were like teenagers, we used to always try to play things, you know, and we ended up developing improvisation skills to the point now where, like, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I can, I can jump on a show as long as I know what key the song's in for the most part. I could sometimes, it's really weird, I could anticipate, like, the next part. I don't mean that music's predictable, but I, I feel it. Like, I, I understand theory in a different language is what I tell people. So when did you start picking up on all these different instruments? In the chronology of your music, was it guitar or violin, or where did that all fit in? Oh, um, I started playing guitar at 15 years old. I'm 35 now, and... um. Yeah, between that, I had like a cheap, cheap little keyboard. I did background things here and there. I tried, um, and bass just kind of came along a couple, about six or seven years later. You know, I never really played anything serious except guitar for, the, uh, I'd say, a good 15 years as I was really hardcore about it. And um, every time I came up with a riff or something, it always sounded like I should have been playing it on keyboard. Or I don't know. I it's it's strange and um a couple years ago i actually got kind of burned out of guitar um i was in a bunch of bands and i it, my writing wasn't really making it toward the uh the cd as much like the solos were which is cool but i uh, as much as i love solos i love composition more than anything so like the 15 second solo shouldn't overtake the 3 minute composition in my in my opinion but um, basically, I just stopped playing guitar together, and I switched right to keyboards 100%, like in the middle of all of it. So, uh, and now I got a guitar again, and I started playing it again. You know, I kind of found a new love for it. But uh, I just got kind of tired of every band I was in, just, oh, i got to play leads. You know, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to write. You know, I want to bring something new to the the music table, you know. You know, not that I'm like some original guy. I'm basically taking all my influences and his life experience and putting into one, like, uh, genre, I guess. I don't even know what my music is. I've been YouTubing it forever, trying to find people similar. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm either doing something completely wrong or something that's just new. But it can't be new to me. Like, I, I don't know why I think that way, but I just don't feel like I can do anything original this day and age. So, it's a little story there. (laughs) 
Well, I actually think you're doing something that's very original because we deal with hundreds of independent artists every month when we curate this show. And I have to tell you that when we went and we found your music, we were just blown out of the water because we don't hear a lot of this that often. And it reminded us of those video games that we grew up and loved, just like you, uh, Mega Man and Metroid and Zelda and all of those, because the music you're, you're recording uh, sounds a lot like it could be a soundtrack for one of those. So when I was scrolling down your Facebook and I was looking at your presence online, I noticed that you're just constantly releasing music. You have new songs and uh, and stuff coming out on a da- almost almost a daily basis. Um, is there ever going to be a point where you want to put that into a Dimension Nine uh, EP or record? I would love to. Um, I keep it's funny. I keep getting new equipment and. Um I keep just finding different ways to record and better ways. And uh, I always kind of put them in groups on my SoundCloud page. You know, I just, I, I make up everything. Uh, like, I don't really have a lyrics, a lyrics. I don't really have lyrics, but I do have a story to go along with everything, which I would like to put an actual CD and actually write the story out and kind of give the listener um, a perspective, you know, like, um, like I, I love how you said about video game music. Like w- what I, what I try to do is I take all my influences, like, cause video game music is so wide. You can do anything. That's what I love about it. It's not limited. I don't think any music should be, but, um, it's not limited and I can basically use whatever sound I want. And I do, I, I make all the sounds you hear, around my, my synthesizers, but I make them. Like, I actually take two sounds, layer them, three sounds, do this, add a filter here, all the science stuff, you know. And sometimes they're happy accidents. <laughs> See, that's very, very cool. Now, is this part of a larger ambition? Is there something that you want to do with this to take your music to the next level, uh, possibly in your career? Actually, yes. I would neither would like to do it as an actual band in, like, tour, or I would like to just be part of the whole uh, video game composition industry, which is um, I've been googling schools here and there. And as soon as I uh, save up the you know cash or whatever, I would I was going to attend Berkeley for game composition to get certificates. And uh, then I'm going to start looking at software companies to see if you know um, they would like me to be you know because all the all the music you hear um, is basically a kind of it's a big field because I have songs that are, uh, my, my roommate says every song sounds like a boss battle or some kind of just intensity. And then you have songs, he's like, then you have songs that are really just laid back and mellow. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's um, I like to think that music uh, for the composer is inward, you know, feelings coming out. And, um, I can honestly say I am I am crazy. I'm very <laughs> like lively and I'm always like the first one to like yell in a crowd. I'm always the first one to be like woo and clap and you know, motivate people is is what yeah. I like to do. Exactly. So one thing I briefly talked about on the show is there's a resurgence in these retro video games, these indie developers feeding off this nostalgia to create you know, these 8 and these 16-bit titles, uh, like I talked about earlier with Zelda and, and Metroid and Mega Man and all that stuff. Now, it seems like the gaming industry, uh, we went as big as we could. Uh, we got games like Skyrim, we got uh, huge MMOs, and now we're 
kind of taking that vastness and we're scaling it down to an extreme and feeding off that nostalgia to create uh, these smaller indie experiences that are akin to those old retro games that we all grew up on and loved. Now, is this something that you would like to be involved in and possibly compose for one of these games? Oh, absolutely. I, um, I, I was always strange even like my, uh, my musical background is so vast, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, I actually, from age 15 to about, I'd say 25, I listened to nothing but like Swedish death metal and Finnish, like, uh, doom rock. And, and cause they always, to me sounded like metal with more than just like the standard. And there's nothing wrong with the standard. I do appreciate and enjoy a lot of like your, your mega deaths and stuff like that. But, um, it was always weird. Every time I was in bands like that, I, I felt kind of limited, you know, I, like I was in a box and, you know, I would try to add this or that. And they're like, Oh no, man, you can't, you can't do that. And once I hear that, like on my opinion, musically, once you, once I hear you can't do something, I, I want to quit because music never did have rules, you know, or limits. It's, People put standards on it, and it, it irritates me. You know, like a rock song has to be bass drums and guitar and 4-4 timing. And it's like, no, it doesn't. You know, like this is these standards are written by bands from the 60s and 70s, and the only reason it was is because it was new. But, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Like, I like, um, I like the Beatles a lot. I can't stand Led Zeppelin, though. <laughs> you know, like, I don't like Pink Floyd, but I love Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Like, like to me, it's like I don't care if a band is considered "quote unquote" classic. Um, if it's a good song, it's a good song. You know, I, I I could listen to things that I don't like the band, but I like songs by them. So yeah, you know, I'm, I, I keep myself very open. And like I said, everything on your show, I was blown away. I was complete. I wanted to talk to every single musician and just be like, "Hey, man, like you want to collab or?" Do you have any more? Like, there was so much stuff on there. And it was like an hour and, uh, what, hour and a half, I think? Yeah, it was about an hour and a half. I loved it. I was just like, you know, in this one hour and a half, I've heard more amazing things than I've heard in the past probably 10 years, you know, <laughs> of like just like finding, like seeking out my own stuff. And I don't know. I'm, it's, it's like uh, the area I live in. It's weird. A lot of people, they always want me to join their band. And, I, and I'm like, are you sure? Because, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's going to work or if you're going to like what I do. Or, like, no, no, like, you do everything awesome. And then I join and I start giving them my input. And it's not that it's, like, dismissed. It's just neither they have a hard time, like, understanding, like, where I'm coming from. Or they just, they don't, like, themselves practice. Or, you know, they just kind of want to make the t-shirt and not the song kind of thing. <laughs> they want the, the rock star-ism, if that's a word. Um, which, I, hey, for some people, that's cool. Like, me personally, I, I don't want to be touring when I'm 70 years old, you know. <laughs> I'd rather just play out, you know, compose at home and, uh, like, make music for everybody because, you know, music is for everybody. 
Oh, that it is. So when I was looking at your bio, I couldn't help but notice that all the way back to 1985, you just have an incredible range of music that you've been involved in. Uh, you seem to lean metal in the early days, and that seemed to be a catalyst for your creativity. But since then, you just went in every which way. Uh, so I guess what my question for you is, is since you have such an appreciation of such a wide variety of music, uh, you know, if you had to take five albums to a desert island, what would they be? You know, what would those artists be that are uh, those select few that are very important to you? <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's a good question. Um, there's a band called Amorphous that started off in Finland as teenagers as a death metal band, doom death metal. They sang about the. I'm I'm half Scandinavian, Swedish, and Finnish too, and um, they sang a lot about the traditional things in Finland and stuff. And my grandmother and mom, like I've been fed it all my life, you know, so I geared toward that and I thought it was really cool and then their next album they had keyboards they had a Moog they had all this cool stuff going on I'm like wow and then the next album they had even more like they just kept growing and evolving and um that's one band definitely Amorphous um I and as far as I don't know as far as bands eh um I like so many composers it's weird um so give me, in that case, give me a composer. Uh, oh. Give me one composer that's super important to you. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, if I pronounce his name wrong, I'm very sorry. Um, Mo- Motoi Sakuruba. He does the soundtracks from the Tales of uh, Exilia games, Tales of Graces, Tales of all the, just about all of them. Um, he has his own little, like, solo project, and it's like prog rock. And the, the best part I really like about it is when I heard it, I, I just was blown away. I loved it musically. But then when I saw it, I was like, oh, he's, he's doing all that live. You know, like that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, Nobu from, uh, Final Fantasy, the composer. And, um, I cannot remember her name. I want to say Hiromi. There's two Hiromis I love, a jazz pianist. And then Hiromi, uh, she composed a lot of the Capcom games. Actually, most people don't know that 90% of the music they heard on NES and all the things they love was composed by a woman. And not to sound like sexist or anything, but I love that idea. I, I just think, like, like I said, music doesn't have boundaries. Like, you know, you see metal and it's all guys. And then there's one girl in the band and everybody freaks out because, oh my God, it's a girl in a metal band. Like, to me, it's like, I don't care what she looks like. Can she play? Can she write? <laughs> So, I mean, of course, an attractive female anywhere is good, but some people only like it because of that, and I, I think that's a poor way to like music, not the wrong way. Yeah, so. yeah and you're right, and I'm looking at her right now, Harumi yeah. Fuhida. Yeah, and she, oh my goodness, Mega yeah. Man 3, uh, Ghost of Goblin, Strider, uh, lots of great titles here, Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuzo Yukuzio. Uh, he does the Streets of Rage, uh, Act Razor, and I don't know, because it's, it's so hard to pick five. I, can, I mean, those three I'd be fine with, honestly, <laughs> but um, I, I just like the fact that, uh, I, I don't know, whenever I hear game music, uh, basically what I like to do is I take game music and instead of using like the, the 8-bit, like 
flare and saw leads or whatever. I actually use them still, but uh, like with the modern keyboards, they're like 32-bit and all that, so they sound a lot, you know, a lot more not so MIDI-like or, or game-like. So I like to take the drive of metal, you know, the passion of it, and I like to take the melodies of like classical and jazz, and then I like to take like the deepness of like blues and the utter insanity of progressive rock and just put it all together, you know? Yeah, and you're so clearly inspired by video games, and I have to think that even now in the contemporary scene of video games, there's some immensely impressive stuff. Um, I remember, you know, 10 years ago when I started playing World of Warcraft, because I'm a veteran of that for the past 10 years, I remember hearing that soundtrack for the first time, and it blew my mind. It was something that was so elegantly composed and so... uh, orchestrally epic that it, it was just unlike anything else I'd ever heard and a lot of these newer games have these kind of soundtracks as well even people like Paul McCartney are hopping on board now uh, like like you did with Destiny to record a song for that soundtrack is this a scene that you're still in touch with because um, I know you have all this 8-bit stuff and all this well rather this retro stuff but is this uh, uh, the newer stuff are you still um, in this scene is this something you still care about oh yeah yeah, definitely. Um, uh, what is it? One of my favorites, uh, Mass Effect, I really liked. And um, I like how you were saying how the music like went hand-in-hand hand with the story. And um, I'm still baffled by that. Um, I'm not sure. It's like the chicken and the egg theory. Like, Does the music go with it simply because you're playing it and it's there? Or... Is it like like that whole standard thing? Because um, you know, the game Life Force for NES, um, when she composed that, the the game they told her they were composing for was a children's game, <laughs> and she ended up making music like that. And then when she saw the game, she was like, "Oh my goodness, I would have made something a little bit, you know, different or better." A Life Force soundtrack is one of my all-time favorites ever. Like I think that's that reminds me of Spaceships now because of her, you know, not. You know, what I would, is what I would call a happy accident. <laughs> well, I, I think it, when they're scoring these video games, I think the key word is scoring, and I think it's a bit like a film in that, at least in the modern context, where they're probably provided with imagery or gameplay, and they score around that. Similarly to how a filmmaker uh, has his uh, music scored to every piece of the scene. Um, you know, when Bilbo jumps over the hedge running out of the Shire and the music peaks because it was written specifically for that second. Um, so do you think that's possibly one way that they're going around, uh, you know, writing this music for video games? Yeah, that's, that, I think that's one way. Um, I think there's a couple approaches to that. Um, you know, some people you hear like are natural singers and some people are trained, but at the end of their path, they're both great singers. You know, so I, I think that um, some composers feel would feel better if they um, played it. Uh, some would feel better if they read the script, and some would just hear the name of the game and write off of that. You know, and I, I think uh, all three methods are evenly awesome, and I mean, you could utilize basically utilize all three if you want. Oh yeah, I'm sure you absolutely could because I can't stress this enough. Your music, when you know I first heard it, it brings to mind video games. That's what your music is totally like, and uh, 
I went back and I kind of thought about all these video games that meant so much to me over the years and how the soundtracks really made those games what they were. Like if you look in the late 90s with uh, Ocarina of Time, the entire uh, plot of that game was actually uh, propelled by the music and propelled by those songs. Uh, More so than probably other games, but... Uh, you know, that's what caused all of us musicians to go out and buy an Orcarena and learn how to play, uh, got, you know, Song of Storms. I got my, I got my girlfriend one oh, for her birthday last yes, year. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. See, I just bought one at C2E2. Nice. And uh, so that's what I think projected those, um, those games was that music. And uh, to this day, I, you know, I go back to... I go back to that those games, and that music means so much to me, and I love that music. So I think what you're doing is really admirable, because what you're doing is you're not constricting yourself to genres, and you're not putting yourself in a box, uh, not, not lyrically, not, of course, not lyrically, you don't have lyrics, but not musically, um, uh, not, not within a genre, and what you're doing is you're just creating what sounds good. Uh, instrumentally, you're not keeping yourself in a box, you, you use all sorts of different stuff, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Everything's marketable. You know, that's the thing with these corporations. They don't understand. They think like, and I, I like Britney Spears, I'm not going to lie, but they think things like that at that time were all people wanted to hear when that's, nothing could be further from the truth. The only reason that it seemed that way is because it's all you heard. I mean, if all you drink is milk all your life and you're introduced soda, you're going to freak out. <laughs> you're not going to know what to do. So... It's just, I, you know, and I, I don't understand. Um, it's hard uh, as an, like an artist. Uh, there's always a struggle of cover band versus original band. I prefer original. There's nothing wrong with a cover band if that's what they want to do. The only problem I have with cover bands are the people in them that actually don't want to do it and just use it to make money. But to me, it's kind of, they're taking away from music because, uh, the original bands, you know, get dwarfed over by like a cover band or a tribute band that plays every single weekend. You know, like if they played once a month, cool. But you know, I mean, me as being in both both sides of the fence, there, um, I did not enjoy the cover thing. I noticed the crowd, like, I, I just, I, I don't know, I just didn't get it. Like they were freaking out over things that they hear on the way to the bar that they're at. <laughs> And then uh, around here, a lot of people have this concept of, well, if we throw a few covers in there, you know, they'll listen to our originals. And I'm like, no, dude, if you're a death metal band and you're covering Britney Spears, they're going to like your Britney Spears cover because they like Britney Spears. They're not going to cross over to death metal. You know, if you, if you want to really show them something new, play your originals. Because, uh, you know, every, every, yeah, man, every single original uh, every single cover was once an original, you know, and I, it's, I stress it so much, you know, and like every band I was in with the exception of, um, sucker that I played guitar for, I had a blast in that band. It was great. Uh, candy V is the, the pretty much sole songwriter, but uh, her and I, I would say it was definitely evenly written and arranged and all that, but she, um, she would do covers of bands that she liked, which I thought was better. You know, because then they get a feel of your version of something you like, rather than playing something you don't like just to make another six or seven dollars. Like it seems self defeating. 
Yeah, it does. And, and I, I can relate because as a musician myself, I've been in a couple different groups and I've done my own solo work. And what I've experienced uh, is that there's two ways to tackle a cover. And the first is um, your Fab Four style, which is, you know, uh, four 45-year-old men with beer guts dressed up in Sgt. Pepper uniforms and mop-top wigs uh, and a left-handed Hoffner bass trying to look and sound like the Beatles to a T, and it just is absolutely stupid. I think it's, it's one of the stupidest things you can do. You just look like an idiot. And then the second thing you can do uh, is pay homage in a more creative fashion and take that and make it your own. And, uh, you know, like there's a act that comes through here in Chicago very often, and they always uh, perform full Beatles albums in their shows, but they're doing, you know, like the White Album in reggae or something like that, and they're not dressing up like the Beatles, they're not trying to look like the Beatles, but they're taking that music that they love and that so many people love, and they're kind of injecting their own creativity into it, and that's what makes it um, really cool. So it sounds like what you're kind of talking about is, you know, not using people's nostalgia and feeding off of it in order to make a quick buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, add add to it. You know, don't don't um. You know, I I, I, have, I have analogies for everything. <laughs> Just like you're baking a cake, um, it's already baked. You don't need to put like the, the icing's already on there. You don't have to put more icing that's already on cake. You know what I mean? It's fine. You know, why don't you put sprinkles on there instead, or, or candles, or. I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Give it your own flair. Now, as we start to wind down here, we've talked about so much cool stuff, all the way from your music to cover music to uh, the industry. Uh, we've really had a, a wonderful conversation. But um, what else are you involved in right now? You obviously love the freedom of the solo effort, and you love taking that and just going crazy places with it. But are you involved in any other endeavors that you want to talk about? Oh yeah, um, I'm still with the way, which is my favorite. Um, the the two guys in that band, uh, Chuck Silsby and Anthony Montini, are my favorite, all time favorite musicians I have ever worked with and still work with because uh, they get it. <laughs> They're the same way I am. They're like, we don't care if our songs are ten minutes long. You know, we don't care if it goes fast and slow. And we just write music the same way I I do with my solo stuff. And um. Each of them are also in separate projects and stuff. And even our, our practice time, like a lot of bands, they freak out. Like we got to practice every week, every week. We are lucky enough to all be, I think, at the level of musicianship where we seriously have not practiced in six months and we played a show in Philly and nobody would have known the difference. You know, it was just because we love. And what kind of music is this? It's, um, oh, it's progressive, um, I can tell you the bands we were compared to, um, which is really weird. Uh, the band Muse, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, Nirvana. Um, we heard Bush, which is really weird. I couldn't figure out why. There's a huge divide between those. Yep. Uh, Tool was a big one. Dream Theater, which was really weird, too. Both Tool and Dream Theater. Um, I would say, and then uh, Cult of Luna. Yeah, I, I would say we're a mixture of, like, Muse, I'd say the Melvins, and maybe Nirvana, because there's a lot of, like, classical elements, and then there's a lot of just weirdness. But it, I, it's hard to put, like, a tag on it. It's um, Unfortunately, we have no CDs, but the page has nothing but live footage of us playing. So, like, 
which was kind of cool because like you get exactly what we sound like you know not that there's anything wrong with a studio album I would love to have one for us but um yeah time and money and (laughs) all that great stuff well Jansen it was an absolute pleasure talking to you and talking about your music and all this cool stuff that you have going we're going to keep our listeners up to date with you and if they want to find you online they can find you on Facebook at Dimension 9 and they can also find you at SoundCloud on uh, Dimension 9 that's what you gotta search for and then you can find Jansen Harris and all of his sweet tunes now listeners we are going to be departing from our interview with Jansen Harris to talk about some tips for you in your indie scene uh, something that you can apply as an artist uh, so check out our tips here we go So the idea for these tip segments is that they're going to accompany these mini-episodes, and we want to talk about stuff that uh, is not just going to be your bullet-pointed list of things you can do to improve your marketability or your music or your mix. Again, the kind of stuff that you'd hear on or read on CD Baby's blog or Reverb's blog or Consequence of Sound. Uh, we want to try to do something different, something that is more of a, um, a discussion point, perhaps that you can even email in your responses. If something I'm about to talk about Uh, If you have a reply or a comment about it, by all means, send it my way. And next time we have either a mini episode or even on the main episode, I'll briefly uh, talk about it. But in any case, what I wanted to talk about today is unifying your front as an independent artist. Because I think what happens is a lot of independent artists get caught up in the whole idea of... um, I'm going to put my music on iTunes and on Amazon and on Rhapsody and Spotify and Google Play and and, and, uh, uh, Xbox Live. And my music is going to be everywhere and that shows a level of professionalism and I can tell people, hey, I'm on iTunes. And that's absolutely right. Um, When I put my music out, the first time I put music out anyway, I was very excited to tell people like, oh yeah, you can find me on iTunes. But I think that this has been skewing our community uh, into thinking and into getting less play because what happens is you put your music on iTunes and you use a, a service like uh, CD Baby, Root Note, uh, TuneCore, those are some of the more popular ones, uh, Record Union, and you put it on there, you pay this fee, you get your music out there, and then you, you tell your listeners all these different outlets they can go buy your music. And I think the problem is that the only people who are going to go buy that music are people who are maybe family, uh, devoted fans, people who have been following you for a very long time. Uh, as harsh as, it, as this sounds, um, the independent community, it's so vast. And there's already so much mainstream music. So you have to break through once and tell up and to get a person to listen to you versus whatever your more popular counterpart might be. And then you have to break through a second time and get them to actually consume your music. And I think it's very, very difficult for independent artists to do this. Uh, especially if you're trying to hawk on iTunes or whatever. And I think the problem is that you have music off all these different fronts, and as a result, uh, 
it just nothing sticks because you're throwing so much stuff at the wall in so many different directions and nothing really sticks because there's not one unified spot that people can go online to find your music to download it to support it so here's what i'm proposing today uh with this theme of unifying your front uh offer your music for free unless you are an independent artist that has several thousand followers um that you can pick up enough traction on itunes and xbox live and all those things to really get people to download your music and if you can congratulations you are already at the higher echelon of of independent artist and this really might not be as applicable to you but if you are an independent artist that's just getting started off has a couple hundred fans maybe you're uh starting to build your presence online you've put out your first record your first couple records and in honesty this applies to pretty much every single artist we play on the jukebox if you're too big if you have if you have twenty thousand fans on facebook we're not going to play your music we, we're trying to showcase the underdog um so unify your front um put your music on somewhere like SoundCloud or somewhere like Bandcamp. If you put it on SoundCloud, that's great uh, if you have your downloads available there. But the problem I've seen with a lot of people on SoundCloud is they put it up for download and they don't realize that SoundCloud does not format your file for you. So whatever you uploaded it as is whatever people are going to get back. So if you don't have cover art attached to the MP3 or the Wave, uh, people are not going to get that. A lot of the times I'll download files from independent artists on SoundCloud and it'll say final mix or something like that or have a number in there or something misspelled because that's how they named it on their computer and then they just uploaded it to soundcloud and forgot about it so in that sense i would suggest going over the bandcamp because i think bandcamp does a better job of formatting those files when people download your album or your single or your song or whatever on bandcamp it automatically formats it so they get the correct title they get the album art all that metadata is is you know put in so they get the album name the artist name it'll the genre it'll all format correctly and the nice thing about Bandcamp is not only can you build your resume on there you can put all your records on there I have eight of my records going on nine and ten on Bandcamp but you can do this thing called set your price and I think this is really important because as an independent artist as I kind of briefly touched on before I started talking um, it's really difficult to get people to buy your music that's just it really is it's really hard so my proposition is don't make them buy your music give it out for free what you can do with a service like bandcamp or if you want to do your own website with paypal or whatever is you can do a set your price you can set your price zero dollars and essentially anything they give you above that is considered a donation it's considered goodwill towards you because they like what you're doing now this does a couple things for you First, way more people are going to download your music. Way more. Because they don't have to pay for it. And you're going to build your audience. Because at the end of the day, if you're in independent music to make money, you have made a wrong turn. We don't make a lot of money until the 1% of us hit it big. Or even less than 1%. So if you're, it's about the love of the music and about spreading your music. And that's what I'm trying to consult on right now. Again, if you're listening to these tips thinking they're going to make you a star, you're in the wrong place. But make it free, and then anything people give you beyond that is considered a donation. And you will be surprised that if you have these fans that are enjoying your music, they may drop you a dollar or two your way. And then it means even more to you, because they didn't have to pay anything, and they did. It's like, you know, it's like a tip. And that's a really cool way to do that. Second, if you're using a service like your website or Bandcamp, 
you can build a mailing list this way because when people download your song for free, you can decide to make them give you your email address. 90% of people will give you that because it's not a big deal. They might give you one of many email addresses, whatever. It doesn't matter. You are building a mailing list, which is going to become incredibly important. Now, you, you need to make sure not to spam that mailing list and use it respectfully, and that's something we're actually going to talk about in the next mini-episode next week. But the point is, is that you're building a following. You're building a way to contact your following, uh, to connect with your following. That's very important. They're getting your music in, your, in their hands. It's formatted correctly. It looks good. It's available across a wide wide variety of platforms. They can get it on their iTunes now because they can just import it. They can put it on, um, you know, their phones, uh, computers, iPods, iPhones, whatever. So that's our main point here is unify your front. Instead of going out and saying, oh, download me here and here and here and here. Instead, say, go to Bandcamp. You can download my record. And then, and, and keep in mind, this is not a promotion for Bandcamp. Don't send me an email saying that. No, I'm just giving advice. And then what you can do is you can kind of bring all those people in on that following. And in addition to that, you can also look at how many people are downloading. Because the other problem is when you have things across a wide variety of fronts, sometimes you lose focus of your statistics. So if you keep stuff relatively contained, uh, you have the ability to really track how many people are downloading it, how many people are adding to your mailing list, uh, people are commenting on it, emailing you on it, whatever. Uh, and then the final thing I want to address, and this is something I'm going to address uh, in a future episode more, and tell me if you'd like me to, because I have a whole other thing about this, is that there's a lot of stink over whether or not uh, streaming services are beneficial to you. And as long as we're talking about unifying this front and whether or not to push iTunes and to push Amazon, which in my opinion, I don't think you should until you have a big enough following to do so, let's briefly talk about the streaming service. If you're like me, the way you discover bands for the, aside from hopefully listening to the jukebox, is on Spotify. I love Spotify, uh, and there's new services out there. You can get Jay-Z's title. Apple Music is coming out. Uh, Beats is doing something, or maybe that turned into Apple Music. I'm not sure. I digress. But um, there's lots of avenues to get streaming music, and I think it's very important independent artists utilize this. You're going to see people out there like Taylor Swift and Tom York and, uh, for a while, bands like Pink Floyd complaining about how little this brings back to people. And that's true. I've been paid for my spins on Spotify, and I literally get paid cents. But the point is, is that I got spins. The point is, is that people are going out in the service and adding me the playlists and streaming my music. Thus, when they stream my music, it pops up in all their friends' feeds, and it's a marketing tool. That is exactly what it is. If you are going to get pissed at Spotify for not paying you enough money, you are in, again, you're in the wrong boat. Because it's all about getting your music played and making it accessible. So I think the two things that I'm trying to get at with this uh, long-winded advice section is, one, unify your front. I keep saying that because I think that that's the theme I want to use with this. Uh, get people going to a SoundCloud page, a SoundCloud page, to a Bandcamp page. Get them going to one page, and that's where everything's at. And then two, once you've done that, slowly make it more accessible. And I think streaming services are a good way to do that. Uh, I know CD Baby and TuneCore, they don't offer selective distribution. So you're going to have to 
essentially distribute all or nothing with them. There are certain services like RootNote, uh, Record Union. I know they both allow you to kind of pick and choose what you put out. Uh, so our suggestion, the Jukebox official su- suggestion, is unify your front, get it all on a Bandcamp page, do selective pricing. That way people can give you something if they want. Otherwise, they're still downloading your music. They're still coming on your mailing list. And then... Uh, send it out to the streaming services. Get it on Spotify, get it on Rhapsody, on on uh, Tidal, and all of those things. Because you're not going to make money from them. It will hopefully make money if you hit it big. But the important thing is that you're going to be accessible. And that's what we're getting at. Because what we see when artists send us music is here's the 20 different links that you can go buy our album. And I look at this and, I, and I'm like, really? Like, I get that you're going to put this in your signature. I get that you're excited you're on these services. That's wonderful. There's something about being on iTunes that's a certain level of success. Um, or not even a level of success. It's just like a, it's like an unspoken rule of the, this is where you reach the next level of professionalism because you're on iTunes. And if you still want to put yourself on all these services, by all means do so. But what we are suggesting is don't push them on people. Instead of saying, uh... Go to my iTunes, my Spotify, uh, Amazon, well, not Spotify, but iTunes, Amazon, all these different places, eMusic. Instead, just send people all to one page. You can track them. It's way easier. So that's our suggestion. Our suggestion is unify your front. Make sure that what you're sending people to is for the right reasons. You want people to hear your music, to care about your music, to share your music, and just sending them an iTunes link is not going to do that. Sending them a Bandcam link or a SoundCloud link where they have the opportunity to download, share, all that good stuff. Then you're in territory where it's really going to do some good for you through word of mouth, through networking, through the internet. So that's our jukebox uh, segment for the day. And as you'll notice, hopefully this was a bit different than what you thought it was going to be. I didn't just read a tip and then you learn something. Instead... Uh, I had talking points in front of me that were organized by myself and the people who helped me make the show. And uh, I went off on those talking points in more of a discussion format because this is not set in stone. If you disagree with me, send me an email. If you agree with me, send me an email. If you want me to, if you have an extension or uh, something else you want to add to this debate, I don't think it's really a debate, but to this train of thought, by all means, send me that as well because I would love to hear that, and I'll read it on the show. But what we want these tip segments to be is something that you're not just going to get online, because you are going to find all these quick little bulleted lists online, mostly because those music websites think that that's the way to reel you guys in, um, and you'd start checking things off a list, and oh my gosh, now my music's ten times better. And maybe that's true to an extent. But these segments are going to be uh, a discussion-type segment where I sit down, I look at the talking points I'm presented with and I bring you guys advice that you can use relevant to you as independent artists or independent fans um, in slightly a different format than what you're going to get just hopping around the internet. So in that, with that uh, bombshell, we're going to call this short episode. It wasn't that short after all. We ended up running about 50 minutes. Uh, this was recorded on June 27th. It looks like it'll pop out on June 28th. So I am your host, Brett Stewart. You can find the jukebox on all major podcast distribution, but I am going to unify my front, see what I did there, and I'm going to send you on over to jukeboxpodcast.com if you want to download, learn more, etc., etc. 
Thank you for listening. It was a pleasure. We'll see you next week with another mini episode and July 25th with the next main episode. Stay frosty. gmail.com and we'll read your message on the next show the jukebox is available on all major podcast platforms including itunes you can subscribe and listen to the show at jukeboxpodcast.com while you're there download a free album this month from one of the bands that was featured in this episode 